And welcome to Exponential Investor Podcast. I am your host, Shay Russell, and you'll notice Sam Volkering is not joining me today. Well, that's fine because I get to talk about all things commodities. However, we did try to get together and through a couple of uh, timing zone errors and technological fails, we just couldn't make it happen. However, he will be here next week. I'm sure I'm probably making promises I can't even keep because it's the end of the year next year and it would be great to have him on. But in the absence of Sam, I want to talk about something I discovered earlier in the week and then I I read two articles uh, that sort of highlighted um, that just how much governments are sleepwalking into this problem. Now, um, I did promise last week that I would uh, give you my three top performing commodities going into 2023, or what I believe will be the top performing commodities of 2023. And I will reveal my second one at the end of today's podcast. But first and foremost, I want to kick off with a little bit of a rant that Sam and I wanted to have. Uh, earlier in the week, we both talked about an Australian company building um, some renewable energy uh, systems. Let's call it, let's go with that word. It's pretty late here in Australia right now. Um, that has just basically filed for bankruptcy. They've had a particular client pull, uh, pull out and they now won't be able to complete some of their infrastructure projects. Now, what Sam and I were going to discuss on air today is who becomes responsible for this? Because we've got governments here that are pushing for these unbelievably aggressive energy targets. Now, don't get me wrong. These targets sound great when you are making political promises and they sound great to the public because many of us are very concerned about climate change and what that means for the built environment that we operate in. We haven't get even touched on the concept of rising insurance costs as climate change takes hold. That might have to be another uh, another podcast. But what we want to know is that if they're going out making these bold calls, as I have exhaustively and com- continuously, I'm banging on like an old record here, pointed out that governments do not have, have not secured the resources in place, have not secured the manufacturers, the producers, the miners, or even the funding in place for these energy transition targets to be met. The ones coming in uh, 2030, I cannot see being met. It's less than seven years away. But the problem, what got Sam and I all fired up is, and, you know, the UK is a victim of this as well, is that coal um, power stations around the world, in Australia it's quite noticeable, but around the world it's been happening, coal fire power stations are being closed faster than new renewable energy sources can come online. Now, as everybody in the UK is cruelly finding out this winter, um, being reliant or moving to renewables before the grid is ready puts you in a precarious position and it's greatly unfair. But who is responsible for this? Uh, and this is, look, I really wish I had Sam here to continue this conversation because I suspect it was going to be quite robust. He's uh, a little bit angry about it. But at the end of the day, governments are making these decisions that are about switching our form of energy and they're doing it in a time frame that I personally believe is too quick to make it happen. But yet the people who will pay are consumers. It's people like you and I trying to heat our homes or light our homes. Or if you're anything like me and you work from home, our livelihoods rely on sustainable, sorry, not sustainable, reliable energy sources. So that was just sort of one of the topics we wanted to touch on today is do we get to hold the government accountable for this transition when it doesn't happen? When they've taken off, uh, when they've removed reliable energy sources offline because they wanted to move towards these energy renewable targets sooner rather than later, who is responsible for what will be 
higher prices as well as probably an unstable energy energy supply when we live in energy dense lifestyle. Now, one thing uh, to compound this, I noticed earlier this week, there was a couple of articles I've read during this week as well that sort of, I, I don't normally see these articles in the mainstream. You know, I sort of, I, I don't quite dwell in the depths of the dark web. Dark web. I haven't quite worked out how to get access to that. Uh, but I do uh, fall down some rabbit holes on the internet and obviously not your populist media. But I did notice this week on the uh, a mining, a very popular mining website, as well as the Australian uh, ABC News Network here, that they highlighted part of the problems with the government's energy transition and that is that we don't have enough resources. Now I've been banging on about this for about two years but I don't see it often being talked about in the mainstream media. Now that tells me if I'm seeing you know basically government-backed websites like the Australia's ABC if that is coming through it means that the topics are starting to get out there and they're starting to drive home to politicians that they might have these very ambitious energy targets but they are not going to be met without trillions, trillions of dollars of rapid investment into the mining sector to bring them out. Now, I cannot see any of that money coming through to make it happen, nor can I see the permitting process speeding up to make it happen. But more importantly, we are forgetting the absolute physics of this and that it can take 10 years, 10 years to turn a find into an extractable resource, 10 years. It is a phenomenal amount of time, which is why I think these energy targets aren't going to happen by 2030. A lot can happen by 2050. I'm not going to be silly enough to make a 27-year forecast, um, but I don't see these energy targets being happening by 2030 because we have not got enough in the ground. And the mainstream media is finally starting to bring this to more people's attention. Um, another article that I do want to touch on, and I wrote about this on Thursday, is the increasing infrastructure gap. This is what's making these 2030 targets all the more elusive. And it's a simple case of the haves and the have-nots. So we've got, um, you know, developed countries, wealthy countries, um, like England, you've got uh, many countries in the Eurozone, you've got Canada, North America, Australia. We are wealthy, well-developed countries. We can basically afford to make the energy transition. Afford, I, I do mean that quite loosely, but basically our governments will come up with ways to encourage private equity, which work with the government to make, uh, to find the money to make build, build these projects. I'm all over the place. I do apologize. Um, however, not all of these countries are resource rich. The, the UK has coal and soil that is ideal for growing rooty, rooted vegetables. I, but you don't have cobalt. You don't have lithium. Uh, you don't have uranium. You don't have copper or iron ore or lead or zinc. Critical minerals that are needed to make this energy transition happen. But countries that do have them are places like Canada, North America, some parts of Europe and Australia. So what this article was sort of highlighting is that there's basically going to be a case of the countries that have the minerals and the other countries that have the means to create sort of a buddy-buddy system to make sure that friendly deals are done to ensure supply but only then it's leaving out other parties because at the end of the day, the, as you know, you know with energy right now, it's going to the highest bidder essentially because at the end of the day, these minerals are going to go to the highest bidder. So what this means is that it is highly likely or what this article was proposing or suggesting or even hinting at is that it's highly likely that Western countries, well-developed countries, 
are likely to are more likely to get to their meet their energy transition targets than developing countries because they simply don't have the money or the resources or even the ability to extract those resources and develop them in order to meet those um, energy energy targets. So it basically means that even if we are on this energy transition race, we are creating, potentially creating a two-tier system of some a group of countries that have transitioned to renewables and another group of countries that are still running on hydrocarbons because they did not have the means nor the ability nor the natural endowment of minerals in order to make this energy transition happen. And this article was a pains to point out that basically buddying up to our allies is not in the best interest of the global economy and that perhaps rather another regular regulatory body should be created to oversee the division of these minerals. Now, whether that actually happens or not, I don't know. I certainly know the world doesn't need another global authority to uh, see the, uh, to, you know, arrange fair distribution of minerals in order to see the energy transition happen. Uh, I don't think it would stop a couple of uh, politicians trying out that brain thought though, or that brain fart I wanted to say, but I wasn't sure if I could. So I'm going to leave that with you here today. So I do apologize if that was particularly incoherent. It is late. I should have had some coffee, but I did not. But I want to make a jump to the next commodity I want to you want to keep on your watch list for 2023. Now there is no streamline introduction. You would think with somebody who talks for a living that I have a more streamlined introduction. Sadly, I do not. But I want to bring this up simply because the end of the year is clo- closing and I did promise that I would give you another mineral to add to your watch list for 2023. And this mineral, you might think it's copper because I've done an awful lot of talking about copper this year, but it's actually not it's graphite. Now, graphite is one of these minerals that has been, it's been hot than it's been not. And I think it's back in the being hot cycle. I can remember back in 2000, over 2011 to 2013, the wonders of graphite and graphene were discovered. And it was going to be this game changing mineral when it came to new technology. And then it just sort of, the price got too high and the enthusiasm for the mineral just disappeared. However, a lot has changed in the past decade. And what we're starting to see building in the graphite market, in particularly flake graphite, is a supply deficit. And once again, this is a mineral that is dominated by, the the processing is dominated by China. Now, when it comes to graphite, it's one of the key elements in the lithium iron batteries. And there is a rapidly increasing demand for uh, basically EVs. So essentially, this is part of the lithium EV battery metal story that you want to be in graphite. Now, the supply deficit, depending on whose forecast you read, it could be the market could be imbalanced by 2030, the market could be imbalanced by 2025. I tend not to put too much faith in long-range forecasts because an awful lot can change in that time frame. Uh, for example, nobody had heard of cobalt before until iPhones became popular and suddenly we're all very interested in cobalt. But I do have something I want you to keep your eye on when it does come to the graphite market. There is, because there is an immediate structure, uh, immediate supply deficit right now, you want to be looking for graphite companies that will be producers in the next two years. These are likely to be the companies that are going to benefit if there is any hype or any fear mongering around there not being enough graphite to meet all of these EV batteries being built over the next couple of years. All right, that is it. Uh, I have waffled on long enough again without Sam and I hope I did not get too ranty today although I was tempted to. All right next week I hope you join me I will 
give you my final commodity that I think you should keep your eye on for 2023. And I hope Sam and I can get our act together, get our links together and get our time zones right. And he can actually be here for our final podcast for the year. All right. That is Shay Russell signing off. But to quote Sam, thanks for watching and bye for now.